I'm Michael Helms from Fatal Visions, who's been documenting Australian horror films for uh, quite a long time. In fact, since before this uh, Kadacha was made. And I'm talking here to the director of Kadacha, James Bogle, the director. Thanks for joining us here today. And just wonder how you be you became involved in Kadacha. Oh, my pleasure. Um, look, I. Um I did a workshop with a an Australian filmmaker called Tom Cowan. Do you remember him? Yes. Anyway, he um, he did this workshop where he wanted to remake the sentimental bloke and uh, a modern <laughs> version. And so he got a whole lot of people together um, to play themselves, and I played the director within that workshop. And um, Hannay was involved um, playing a producer in that workshop. So <laughs> that's where I met. <laughs> that's where I met David Hannay. Um, and I also met um, Peter Westheimer, who did the soundtrack for this film in that workshop. So. Yeah, I think that happened probably about a, uh, 10 months before this film, um, you know, uh, actually got financed. Um, but they just wheeled me in and, you know, they were looking at several people and I was absolutely wrapped to get the gig because I was 28 years old and, you know, I wanted to practice my craft and uh, I read the script and thought, wow, let's do it. So are you basically a self-taught filmmaker? Yeah, yeah, I didn't go to film school. Um, I, I uh, yeah, I just um, started as a camera assistant and then realised I didn't really want to do camera, I wanted to direct. Um, so, uh, yeah, I started making short films and sort of came through the system in that way. This is our beautiful cave. <laughs> very spooky moment um, there is a, there's sort of a spooky moment you know there's a death every 10 minutes really in this film <laughs> you know that's the kind of style here's a spooky moment I like the musical style because it's all underscored by uh, uh, Peter's great score that he did for it and it goes from like what sounds like synthesized uh, didgeridoos to real ones and it's like a clarion call. Whenever the sound comes up, something's going to happen as we're witnessing right now. Someone's having a bad dream. Um, I don't know whether you're aware, but... It, and there's the ditch. Simultaneously yeah. to this being made, there was two Australian films, one made in Western Australia, Zombie Brigade, that's in some relation to this yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. And yep. The Dreaming, and The Dreaming especially, because it takes this... Uh, Aboriginal idea of the dreaming and uh, um, certainly so does Kadacha. We're looking, she's waking from a dream and she's got a stone in her hand and uh, it's the meaning of what having that stone in your hand is all about and what uh, starts the death to occur in Kadacha. I, I, I just wonder where, where uh, um, you had any experience with any sort of Aboriginal myth or legend before this and how that was fed into this film and how this makes, it's the ground, it's the base for the whole film. So, it um, certainly is. It's very political. It's a very political film. I grew up in the outback of Western Australia. Um, so, um, yeah, I had quite, um, quite a lot of contact with um, Indigenous 
Australia um, in the outback. And um, this particular film was, uh, you know, very political. Uh, certainly um, we were lucky enough to get um, Stevie... Dodd to play Billy Nudgel oh, and Stevie yeah. Yeah. Stevie's from the Oranti uh, people in uh, Central Australia where the Kadacha uh, spirit um, originated um, their their tribe was sort of the original um, the, the original um, tribe that that the Kadaicha man sort of started to, to happen in. Um, and so uh, it was very, uh, we were very lucky to have Stevie because he's an elder and um, he, he came from that region and he knew everything. And, you know, back in those days, you didn't have, um, you know, protocols with um, Indigenous experts um, and so on and so forth. So I think um, Ian Coglin, the writer, and certainly David Hannay, um, who had worked with um, Stevie Dodd before, you know, um, really um, listened to him and um, lent on his uh, knowledge um, to conceptualise this. So was the script existing before you got involved in the project? Yes, indeed, yes. It was uh, a 140-pager, um, so I cut a lot Epic. of it. Yeah, it was. And uh, Ian had a um, history of writing soap, um, Australian soap, so it was all overwritten. The, all, all the big ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the big he was, ones. I mean, you neighbours. Know, he was. He was. Yeah, that's right. He was. Uh, he lived in Queensland, um, and yeah. So I sort of, yeah, I, I was able to actually have the freedom to um, get get rid of a lot of the dialogue because it was just too soapy, um, and uh, yep. and just sharpen it up a bit. And you know, I was hanging around with a lot of actors at the time, and um, so I sort of had my own little sort of band of. Um, operators and um, actors and so on and uh, Steve Winden shot it is one of his um, car shots there and he's just finished the Fast and Furious 9 and he's going on to the Fast and Furious 10 as the uh, director of photography so I taught him everything he knows <laughs> but yeah he's really he's done very well um, and he lensed this film uh, beautifully, um, as he. Uh, this is his first feature. Well, as it was yours too. Yes, yes, and um, yeah, it was. You know, we were we were um, very young and um, <laughs> bristly tailed. <laughs> but enthusiastic, I would take it. Absolutely, um, nothing was going to stop us. Um, I think we shot it in twenty-four days. Um, and uh, took about a year to recover, you know, after making it. <laughs> what, what did you hope for the film upon its release? And what sort of release did you hope for? Uh, it did get released in the States. I didn't go over for that. Uh, it got released uh, theatrically in Australia, I believe. Um, but it was small, you know. Um, and at the, at the time, you know, I'm not sure horror was really you know, um, loved <laughs> in Australia. So, um, 
you know, it, I think it was just really very much just made for an international marketplace. Where'd you get this? Definitely, well, that's what well, that was made as, and sold as a package, but only Kadacha turned up in uh, the US, which was just something else. But this is what I expected, you know, any new horror films to do, to, you know, forge in that direction. So I think, you know, it was a combination of marketing and, and just having sales agents on the case is yeah. one of the most important things to get your film spread. Isn't it? And uh, this, was, this was a very sales-orientated production, being four films announced at the same time. It's a package. You know, and people, you know, that's how films are released in packages. And uh, this was a good part of the package, but uh, somehow it uh, struck out on its own to get that theatrical release. I don't think it did play theatrically in Australia. I, uh, I think it was rele uh, released onto tape, and that was the whole concept behind it, which was fairly new at the time. Mm. Um, of course, you always aim for the theatrical release, and this mm. film looked great on a big screen, and I've mm. never seen it on a big screen. Um, and there we go, another car scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no wonder Steve's so good at Fast and Furious. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's pretty amazing, isn't it, that he's he's um, doing all that stuff now. It's incredible. What a journey from Kadaicha to Fast and Furious 10 in 2022. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great journey, but so, but so is yours. Just making the film in the first place, I think, is just uh, pretty incredible. Um, so what did you think, uh, uh, where did you think it would sit within Australian film culture? Um, I was certainly interested in the, as I've mentioned, you know, the political nature of it and uh, yeah. the Indigenous um, uh, content. And um, I certainly... You know, I thought politically it would... Um, I mean, I'm not sure I'm the right person to actually answer that, actually, because, you know, it is uh, so... I mean, it's so... At the core of it, it is so... Um, in, you know, has such an Indigenous heart. Um, yep. But, um, yeah, I was probably unsure. I just knew that I thought the politics of the film was appropriate and um, strong and had you know it had a powerful sort of message um, and I think it finished up getting a bit Hollywood towards the end um, but um, yes it's a uh, it's a yeah it's a definitely a, a piece of work out of the 1980s <laughs> whenever it was it was 1980 yeah it was 1980. I think it was 1987 or something. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of Hollywood and big, one of the big ideas in this film, which it shares with Zombie Brigade, but uh, mostly with Poltergeist, is the idea of uh, an area being built on some sort of graveyard. Um, how did you go about handling that? Uh, yes, well, that's essentially... The payback, isn't it? It's the Kadaicha spirit, um, and it sort of goes right back to you know pointing the bone, um, and uh, so yeah, all of that information comes to light uh, in in the film when Mrs. Millhouse um, tells the kids what the hell's going on, um, and uh, <laughs> it's you know it's um, it's. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful, maybe you mes could, maybe powerful message, really. Yeah. 
Maybe you could say, you could explain what pointing the bone is, because at one point in the film, it says that the stones are worse than pointing the bone. So what's pointing the bone? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the type of shaman amongst the Arunta people in, uh, you know, um, in central Australia um, uh, sort of brings a, a, brings a punishment to a guilty party by death. And uh, the Kadaicha word may also relate to uh, the ritual in which uh, death is willed by the Kadaicha man, known also as um, bone pointing. Um, so, yeah, that's essentially what the guts of it is about. So, uh, what happens to someone who has the bone pointed at them or someone who wakes up with the stones? Well, um, they they are cursed. They um, they they thoroughly believe at some point in time that um, you know it is real. And in Aboriginal culture, which uh, is not my culture, so I'm speaking out of turn here. But um, if someone um, points the bone at you you will feel cursed and you will die, um, you know. Um, and so it's, it's an amazing sort of power, um, a um, psychological power. In this particular case, um, the Kadaicha man, as explained by Billy Nudgel in the film, he yep. can take on different forms. Uh, and here's one of them just coming up right now. Um, a vicious dog, um, and the Kadaicha spirit takes on uh, different forms through the film. And the film needed to be, I, you know, I was very um, aware that the film needed to be a very commercial piece of work. Um, and part of horror is to um, have a sense of fun about it, if you can. Um, yep. Otherwise, you know, there's just it's just too dirgy and uh, yeah, you know. So I mean, I was very uh, mindful of the sort of film I was work I was making for the sort of market that I was that I was um, heading for. So, Did you have yeah. any other films in mind that you were emulating or using as influence? I didn't look closely at Poltergeist, but obviously, you know, that was a reference. Um, and um, no, I just wanted to sort of have a crack and do it in the way that I wanted to, to do it. <laughs> so in this particular scene, for instance, um, you don't, uh, in the script, you never see the dog, the dog's teeth. Um, just that flash, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, but I was... I was really happy to see a, a very vicious animal there to sort of up the ante a bit. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, great makeup scenes and, you know, of people with their throats torn out and so on. So, <laughs> I mean, you kind of yeah. like, it's really, uh, yeah, a lot of people actually find it really, really scary. Mm. But, you know, I suppose... Yeah, well, some of the sequences are, are really, it's all about dreaming too. And, you know, that's another thing that uh, uh, a relationship to Nightmare on Elm Street, I guess, is your mm. dreams can come to reality. And that's another factor behind Kadaicha that mm. um, 
it does come to reality to, to several people. And so it's, there is a, lit, yeah. a litany of death in here. Yeah, the supernatural um, death. Creative thing. death. But uh, Australia didn't even have, in the late 80s, didn't even have a really a great makeup industry that could produce some of these special effects. Um, but uh, you've got it looking good there. Uh, you had a good special effects operator, makeup special effects. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I mean, all of that crew, a lot of that crew came through Hannay because Hannay had been around for years, you know, and, uh, you know, he knew the best operators in Sydney. Um, um, so uh, a lot of the art department and the special effects um, people uh, sort of came from that aspect, whereas Steve Winden chose his... You know his camera crew and um, and the gaffer and the grip and so on and so forth and then, you know, I, I suppose I had a hand in you know who to, um, to who who to be part of the um, director's um, department. You know, first AD, second AD, third AD. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, they yeah they did a very good job with. I mean, we were I was happy to go very gruesome and go. Um, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty terrible on that front. But um, it was kind of interesting because about half, halfway through shooting the film, um, Hannah came to me during uh, one night's shoot and said, um, oh, we have to make it more R-rated because <laughs> it's going to be R-rated. There you go. There's, there's, there's some gory details for you. But there she is. Look at her. Um and um, so he, you know, they were, he and Tom were interested in sex scenes and uh, put, you know, sort of, and I, yeah, I was very resistant to that. Um, so they couldn't really get around me on that. I didn't want it to be, uh, you know, just kind of, um, I don't know. Um. A sexploitation <laughs> yes. comedy because you're dealing with y teens? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not that. Yeah, I, uh, I just but, uh, I wasn't up for that. So, so then I had to sort of fight my way through that, and, and yeah, I finished up uh, creating that scene in the bathroom with uh, the. Uh, so I rewrote some parts of the script, and um, and Hannah was keen on the word fuck. You know, anyone could say fuck at any point in time. He, let's say fuck. You know, it's like okay, all right. Well, fuck it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> you know, so that that was fine by me. But um, yeah, I, I didn't really want um, you know Alex, you know, screwing his you know um, his beautiful model girlfriend on his table <laughs> or anything, which the, which was one of the ideas that they wanted to pass by me. How, how, how difficult was it on your first film accepting other people's ideas like that then? I've always had trouble with that. Um, I've always been very single-minded. Um, so um, I find it very difficult. I mean, <laughs> you know, because you get this sort of, yeah, you sort of sort, sort yourself out and you're heading in a direction. And if, mm. if someone wants to change it, it's, it can be uh, it can be very difficult to deal with, um, and I you know I'm happy as a young filmmaker at that point in time I'm happy with how I dealt with that, because I finished up making a film with a stronger sense of morality I think which uh, helped make the film better. 
also the casting of it. You know, did you have much to do, much say, any say in casting? Yes, indeed. I, you know, I certainly, um, by that stage, I was very happy and, and comfortable working with actors and sort of saw myself as uh, actor-director, really, actors-director. And, you know, I was just hanging around with actors all the time, so I really knew how they thought and, you know, I kind of had a sort of in, inside line on them. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had a lot to do with the casting. I cast... Uh, there was a trade-off for Zoe Caredes, um, and I think yep. she she's done a really, really good job with this film um, as the lead. Yep. Uh, and she was in a lot of my short films, um, so I really wanted her to play the lead. Um, so there was a trade-off for, um, for Hannah um, with her father, um, who, uh, who I hadn't worked with before. Um, and yeah, he you know he finished up doing quite well. I'm just trying to remember his name. Um, uh, what's his name? God, uh, sorry, I've lost it. Can't think. It's okay. <laughs> oh, the the actor who plays. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Eric, Eric Oldfield, that's right, Eric oh, Oldfield. Yes. And Eric had done a lot of television, and you know he was, uh, yep. you know he's a he just had that sort of vibe you know um but in actual fact that suited the character because he's playing a scumbag <laughs> so it sort of just kind of worked quite well he's kind of light and um he kind of uh, just plays that part very well so it was a good trade-off you know Hannah got uh, Eric and I got Zoe so yeah and all of the young people all the the rest of the cast I I had a um big saying because I knew them all. Right, did you know um, Steve Dodd, you mentioned that before, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Look, I look. I was introduced to him um, by David Hannay and uh, and the oh. other the other producer on board was Charles Hanna, who's David's um, brother, but they decided to have changed their surnames. It was <laughs> like... Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, there was, I mean, there's always, I mean, you know, I found it, you know, at times I found this film very hard to make um, just because, you know, you just uh, don't realise how difficult it is to direct a film until you actually do one. So was Charles on set as much as David? They were pretty good. They sort of left me alone, you know, um, Jewel Drugan was um, uh, the first AD and, you know, suddenly you hear the, the old saying, ducks on a pond, ducks on a pond, <laughs> which means the producers are on set. Um, <laughs> you know, that's an old sort of saying with crews. But, yeah, no, they were pretty good, you know, they were pretty good. I just, I mean, I was, you know, I'd only made short films, um, so... The experience just kind of, you know, hit me smack dab between the eyes, really. Um, you know, it's it's fairly brutal. You sort of... I, I remember thinking, oh, that, that, must, that must have been one of the, the hardest experiences anyone could ever go through, and then I realised that that's just filmmaking. <laughs> you, know, you know, you just have to sort I, of get used to it. I have to ask you, was Tom Broadbridge ever on set? He didn't come to set that often. 
Um, yeah, he was sort of more, in my mind, he was more like an executive producer. So Hannay was Hannay and Charles Hannah were running the show. Um, so they were, and um, Tom was sort of one out and one back. Mm. This is Eric Eric Oldfield. See, he's, I mean, he's got he's got a you know good look, and he's yeah. Excuse me, he's you know he's he's solid, but. Yeah, he's sort of all. He's he's. You can tell he's played a lot of, lot of people, a lot of characters in television. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds. Oh yeah, well, he's a solid sleaze bag in this, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> That's right. But we, you know, we had some fun. I mean, here's here's a sort of a nice tracking shot right across Zoe that crosses the line, and I'd sort of try stuff on with Steve. Um, you know, here we go, we go right through here. Okay. And swing right around. And, you know, something, something like that is, you know, with all that outside, we have to sort of, you know, um, do something about the windows and, you know, um, some, some little move like that that is sort of accompanies a psychological state or a change, um, you know, we, Steve and I had fun. I, I actually used to work with him as his camera assistant when he was um, shooting documentaries uh, and he shot one of Michael Willisy's documentaries uh, and I was working for uh, Willisy at the time, so that's how I got to know him. Um, but he's, yeah, he was already ta very talented. He... Uh, He's, his father was a gaffer and his grandfather was a gaffer. <laughs> so he's third generation in the film industry. Dynasty. Yeah, yeah. And whereas, you know, I mean, yeah, someone like me, I just was sort of coming from right outside of the industry and still grappling with, you know, you know, everything. <laughs> yeah. But we had a lot of fun, you know. And what about special effects sequences? Did they, you notice them, how long they took to film? Uh, look, all of that, I mean, there was nothing, you know, it was pre-CGI, really. Um, you know, we shot it on 35 mils, so um, all of the special effects were, um, you know, done on set, and um, so they were all pretty much prepared for me, and in time, you know, uh, I've, you know I was ready for... Uh, they were ready for me, I, was, I should say. So they just sort of came on set. Um, so all of that worked really smoothly. Um, yeah. Wow, that's that's good to know. That for your yeah. first film, that's something special. Yeah. Well, I mean, in those days, you know, you had to do all the hard work. Um, I suppose you still do, don't you? I mean, it's animatronics and God knows what, but um, they were pretty simple, really. You know. Um, Essentially, <laughs> had you had a, a, a long-term attraction to horror? Um, I certainly had an attraction to dark films. Um, you know, sort of went on to make In the Winter Dark, and um, yeah, horror. Well, horror. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I used to get scared. I'm sort of too scared to watch horror films. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I find them a but, bit but you'll make I, them. I, yeah, that's it's right. A, I, I find them a bit scary, you know. It's like 
Oh, it's so, an enjoyable experience. You can go back to it and uh, rewatch it and be scared again. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 okay to make them, but yeah, I completely shit myself watching horror movies. <laughs> did did Kadacha do that for you? Um, well, of course, once you make the thing, you know, you can see right through it. So, and certainly, I mean, these days, I can see right through. You know any film I watch, so it's very hard for me to enjoy a film anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are in the library, and she's uh, we're starting to get into some uh, newspaper clippings that um, the kids come across. And uh, it reveals all sorts of things about her father developing this land over a, a, a sacred ab Aboriginal grave site. Um, and she goes to the window and there's, you know, there's always moments where something's looking at her. <laughs> what could it be? What could it be? Yes. In, the in, librarian. In actual, in actual <laughs> that's right. In actual fact, we got <laughs> we found a dog with um, two different eyes. Um, oh, so, <laughs> so that was a bit of fun. Yeah. So you, this film involved casting dogs too. <laughs> yeah, there were a few. No, there was only two actually. Um, and uh, and a trapdoor spider, um, which is coming up. Oh, that's. I mean that that sequence is kind of more me. I think it's very cheeky. Um, it has a sense of humour about it, and uh, it's kind of silly. You know, <laughs> I kind of like uh, I like scaring people, but you know, it should have a silly edge to it. But but you know. A, Credit to the the, the um, script writers because this certainly has a, a you know has a um, social conscience and um, you know the spectrum of entertainment. I mean certainly there's uh, there's an intellectual side to it as well as um, an emotional side. Yeah, you manage the two strains together and merge mm. them and. It motivates people. That's it's great. It, it really works. Yeah, it's it hangs together quite nicely, I think, um, and beautifully shot. I must say, you know, even back then, I mean, Steve really knew what what lenses to use. Which at that stage, I I didn't have a strong grasp on. I do now, but um, yeah, he's he really lensed the film beautifully. I'd ask for shots and I knew I'd I'd figure out how I wanted to cover sequences but um, his choice of shots his choice of lenses and um, his lighting is you know very sort of mainstream commercial and quite beautiful oh, it's also very dark too, yeah just good absolutely fits fits this <laughs> yeah. film yeah well that's what you want <laughs> isn't it Mm. And, and also the other, the, the other thing that greatly helps, I always say that 50% of a film is its soundtrack. Uh, the soundtrack, as, I, as I've already mentioned, the, the, the droning 
of uh, um, the didgeridoos and the synthesise, uh, that brings a creepiness to it too, you, you know, that just really assists the whole film. Yes, uh, the, yeah. The, the soundtrack, yeah. you know, by Peter Westheim is, is really good. I think so, yeah. He did a really good job. Um, and, I mean, this is a little sequence here coming up here where, um, you know, there's a combination of Peter's music with Didge. Um, yep. It's just as we start to sort of realise that um, Frankie's in trouble because he's found a crystal on his pillow. <laughs> yeah, well, now the drama really ramps up. I mean, this sequence coming up actually was uh, quite interesting because we were trying to... We shot a trapdoor spider, um, you know, in a lab um, under controlled conditions and then we just, you know, we only had a sort of plastic spider on set. Um, so we, <laughs> we had to try and figure out how to make the two sort of come together. And as you'll see, um, it kind of works, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but so basically, basically, we just went down to the shop and bought a plastic spider from the toy shop, you know, for two dollars or something. <laughs> um, well, that's cool. You you don't have to feed it. That's right. Uh, save money for the production. <laughs> Absolutely. And how how conscious were you of the budget all the way through this film? Were you? Or it was tight. Yeah, it was really tight. Uh, because I mean, it's probably one of the reasons. I got a gig on it because I brought a whole crew that were prepared to work for no, for very little, <laughs> including me. Be quiet, it's only me. Hannibal, settle down. What's the matter? You all fell home, Missy? There he is. There he is. There's, there's Stevie Dodd. He used to be a rodeo rider. Um, he served in Korea. Um, you know, he's done all he'd done all sorts of stuff before he um, worked with Chips Rafferty and um, got his first break in film. And all this sequence here, you know, is kind of suddenly you've got a thirty-five mil camera. You know, the size of a sort of um, carton of beer. <laughs> trying to do tracking shots that are sort of macro, you know, like that. Um, it was much more difficult. This sort of shot is these days, you know, you can sh shoot very easily, but um, I wanted to get right under the shoe um, um, and yeah, go into a kind of, yeah, different perspective, you know. Yeah, yes. Yeah, is this what you'd call talk about as an innovation for yourself here something that you're really trying to do on set yeah yeah you know get, you know have a bit of bit of a sense of fun about it or you know just uh, something a little bit different but you know steve there are those those pens that are looking like sort of massive logs and you know there's i mean all of that stuff is so much fun when you're a young filmmaker and you're exploring your own style and so on and here we go. So he he looks up there, and then he sees this spider, and then it, he, you know, the idea is that he he was isn't sure what it is, so he takes his glasses off to get a better look, which is silly in its own self, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't help myself really. I just 
have a bit of fun, really. I, d I just have to ask you one thing <coughs> we've just seen there, and that's Billy Nudgel's exit. Yes. He looks ve very funny. He looks like he's, I don't know, Mooching all cramped off. up when he's walking yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was the direction there? Um, uh, oh, he... Oh. he yeah, real. here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Wait for the big effect. Here, here we go. The music is telling the tale, isn't it? It is. Oh, yeah, but oh, now you've pointed it out, I didn't <laughs> notice the plastic spider. <laughs> yes, I shouldn't have said that, should I? <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, no, maintain but, um, the illusion. Yeah, he, he, mm. that was something that he just did on the, on the night and, you know, I was happy with it. It looked a little unusual, um, but, you know... Um, yeah, I was happy with it. Uh, so we shot this down in... Uh, that's a set. Um, but we oh. shot the reverse uh, in that tunnel down in Bondi... on the edge of Bondi Beach, Bondi Beach South. Um, so this is in the studio, that and one? And then, the yeah, shot. yeah. Yep. And so we just spin around and um, get this kind of sense that the the wall opens up for her and all of this sound is um, yeah it's uh, quite beautifully uh, orchestrated by the sound effects guys they were, they were straight out of film school and you know it was a great opportunity for them to have a bit of fun and do something really wild so there's some beautiful sound just here, you know, it's just very, a lot of depth and breadth. Scare the pants off anyone. <laughs> Did you issue any, any instructions to Peter Westheimer about the general soundtrack? Um, look, he, yeah, I'm, I'm a real um, music um, nut, so I love music. Um, oh. And um, I, in actual fact, was playing with him, um, you know, at one stage. I used to play in bands. Uh, I was drummer in, a, in bands here in Perth uh, in oh. the pub, on the pub scene. Um, so, yeah, like music sort of comes very, to second nature for me. So I, I give um, particular instructions and, in, and include a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, emotional words, I guess, to um, help people orchestrate what I want. Um, so yeah, he was he was he was really good, Pete. He really knew. Well, we knew each other really well by that stage, so that helps. Well, I might mention he also he did the soundtrack to Out of the Body too. Yeah, yeah. Look at all those skulls. That was lucky. They were, they were just there. Mm. <laughs> well, one thing I, I noted, I wondered whether uh, um, it all takes place at Kangaloola. Is that such a place? Is that a real place? No, it isn't. No, uh, it was shot at Warrywood High School, I think. Sure thing. Back in the library. <laughs> This is where she discovers 
This is a scary, this is a scary moment, Michael. Oh, scariness in libraries. <laughs> this, that's an innovation in itself. See, that's a nice bit of work, isn't it? Look at that. He looks horrible. <laughs> Oi, this is what it's, I mean, the makeup. The makeup was Yeah, good. it's really, it really is exceptional. See this um, scene here. It's beautifully uh, choreographed um, by Steve. Um, really, I had a different way of shooting it, but he just helped me, you know, make the transition to the ambulance. Those little things are, you know, just so important when you're working with, you know, a, as a young director, just to have someone guide you that has more experience in shooting drama. Oh, the, these shots are interesting. They keep you engaged. They go from one bit of yeah. car action mm. over to the ambulance. It is really well choreographed, as mm. you say. Mm. And Andrew Aristides uh, cut the film. Um, he cut a lot of my short films. Um, so, and he's gone on to do really well um, in in the world of documentaries. He's been cutting documentaries now for. 20 or 30 years, but he, he didn't finish up uh, cutting much drama, but yeah, maybe this, this experience put him off it, who knows? <laughs> it's too hard. <laughs> so this is uh, Deborah Kennedy, I've worked with her since um, too, uh, she was in a film of mine in 2018 called uh, Closed for Winter. Um, Look, I wanted to speak to you because she's one of my film with winter in the title. Yeah, she is one of my favorite actors. And if you listen to her in listen to her in this particular scene, it's, she's got so much dialogue. I just asked her to say say uh, almost double speed if she could, you know, just to get it out because it's it's um <laughs> but we certainly understand her. She's brilliant, you know. That's uh, one of the great things to work when you work with theatre actors because they're so used to looking after themselves. They're very, very good. She'd done a lot of theatre. Um, she's, she's a great actress. I love her. She's great. So you had a good time directing the cast? Always, yeah, I always do. That's my favourite, my sort of favourite part. Although I did have a, um, you know, as I mentioned, I sort of did have a camera background, so I had shot stuff, so I certainly have a sense of um, how I want things covered. Uh-oh. Something's happening. Do you have a particular favourite scene? Uh, it's probably that spider scene, just for the fun of it. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know, we had so much fun shooting that. You know. These guys are great. Um, you could just tell that Ian Coglin had written a lot of television because he he wrote these lines and they're just they're funny you know they're kind of <laughs> you know he just had a very clever 
way of writing stupid lines um, that uh, further the story, especially when it comes to the cops. <laughs> the cops are how about great. the how about the actual here they come <laughs> how about yeah. the actual stones themselves what went into the yeah that was I mean that yeah. was a big decision obviously because we were sort of we were thinking initially about um, uh, stones from the bush and um, then we kind of I guess we chose something a little bit more um, commercial and interesting um, in crystals. So, um, I, you know, I think that was... Uh, there was a bit of poetic licence in that choice because um, I always wanted to do extreme close-ups of them. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's sort of the artwork on yeah, the, the crystals, crystals are beautiful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's entirely photo... Mm. Photographic. Mm. Did, but it, was that the sort of stones that they'd actually use, or was it totally? I think. I mean, you know, they're no in the. You know, from my understanding, you know, no. But mm. uh, you know, in the middle of Australia, um, certainly. Ever receive any feedback criticism on the stones themselves? Uh, look, I think. I mean, there's a lot in this film, even though it has a very. Um, you know, it has a good heart. There, are, there is a lot of inaccuracy here, um, without a doubt, um, which um, you know I'm not proud of. But um, certainly, uh, I think you know a film like this made these days, it'd be it'd be a completely different experience because you'd have uh, indigenous, you know, you'd have access to in, indigenous um, experts and. Um, that really helps um, make, you know, things much more authentic. I mean, a lot was left up to Stevie Dodd and he was, you know, he really had a lot of input, as I mentioned, but, you know, um, these days you should have a lot more help. And I was just wondering, uh, because in, in all its releases, it's got stone in the title, like uh, the official Australian video That's right. title, although it was, yeah. wasn't, wasn't uh, reflected there, is Kadacha the Death Stone. And, of yeah. course, its release in the States was Stones of Death. Yeah. So uh, I thought you'd want to get your titular object, you know. <laughs> yes, you'd think so. Thoroughly it? researched. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I think it just got released so fast, you know. Um, I had no say in that title, definitely. I think, you know, obviously Kadacha didn't work in the States, so they decided they just call it Stones of Death. <laughs> which, which, which is succinct, really. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah very. That's what it's about. Crystal. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, good pair of budgie smugglers there. <laughs> yes, yeah, spontaneous music. Yeah. Getting Zachary McKay to dance like that. Um, <laughs> these, <laughs> it, was, it was great. You, you I just, him that, huh? I just sort of, yeah, laid it on him, you know, very late in the piece, so he didn't get to re re rehearse it. Um, and this uh, river was, as you can tell, there's only about six inches of water in it. 
<laughs> so uh, that was a problem. And then the, we were there for a couple of days. And on the first night, uh, it rained and um, rained and rained. And um, some, some of our trucks got bogged and <laughs> couldn't make it to the next location <laughs> you know, and so it goes on you know filmmaking but look at that look how shallow it is and they did a good job to just pretend that it wasn't shallow um uh no kadaicha turning up as a crocodile either so. <laughs> no well this is this is the the infamous eel um <laughs> which we shot i'm I, I kind of was just um, underwater with the eel myself, um, thrashing oh. around. Uh, <laughs> um, so that's how we shot that. But it works really well. Uh, it's just a plas- big plastic eel. <laughs> well, I, I was, I was going to ask you whether you appear. <laughs> well, I don't. Whether you appear? But, no, I don't, but... Um, yeah, I was the eel specialist. I should have given myself a credit. Yeah, eel wrangler. All <laughs> <laughs> of this. And was it how it was it cold? What was the weather like that day? It, it wasn't too bad actually. Um, and then it really, really rained very hard for a long time, and you know the whole unit was almost underwater. So here we go with the, the madness. There we go. There's the eel. <laughs> I'm spoiling it, aren't I? No, not at all. You're enhancing it. Oh, hey, there. You've got... Is that your hand? <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> and where'd you get the eel from? Uh, art department. I don't know how they made it, but yeah, they they, they sort of put it together. These guys are, are just friends of mine, um, actors. Um, Nicholas Flanagan and uh, Alan Lovell. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're very good mates. I just said, do you want to play a cop? It's sort of fun. You know, we're a big gang, big gang of people that sort of hung around together. We're doing the same things and making films together. It's really good fun. And as one cop puts his hat on and the other one throws it away, <laughs> and then the, the second one decides before he goes near the water with his gun that he'll throw it away. <laughs> yeah, that was scripted actually. So at least, we, oh really? <laughs> at least oh. we are following some kind of that shot there. I like a lot. It's kind of. <laughs> So does that involve the camera being in the water, in the actual creek? Yes, or, indeed. Uh, yeah, so we had a... a um, yeah, there we are. It's just sitting on... It's got a casing, and it's just sitting on that water level, which, you know, brings the image very much alive. It's um, makes it more active. Uh, even though the water is just so muddy, you can't see anything. So you've got lots of underwater shots in uh, sh- uh, films you've made since then, like working with water? I I mean, you, yeah, I don't... I mean, you know, you never want to work on a boat. Oh, God, that's very difficult. 
<laughs> so I try and avoid it, but um, yeah. Water's powerful. It's powerful. It really is, isn't it? It's just a powerful thing. Force here's some, of nature. Here's some more swearing. Fuck this and fuck that. <laughs> fuck what? <laughs> <laughs> so that comes from Hannah, you reckon? Well, well, it was just, you know, they wanted to, you know, as I said, they want to beef the film up as an R-rated film. So, <laughs> so that was a, one little thing they could do. And I'd let them do. <laughs> and this is Anthony Aykroyd. He's, uh, he's a famous comedian. comedian. Yeah. yeah. He's a mate of mine. Giving away all the, God, giving away all the secrets, aren't I? This is what we know. Well, this is what we need to know. Come on. Yeah, true. Here's Eric. Here's, here's Eric. Eric had a big night uh, the night before, before we shot this. And so he couldn't speak. So all of this is ADR. There's Aykroyd looking scared. Uh, dear, another beautiful, good, solid effort with the special effects. Here's another fuck oh, coming yeah. up. <laughs> so, how long did she have to lie there with that makeup on? Not too long. Um, yeah, because we were moving fast, um, as fast as we could. So. Here's another beautiful. Ian. It's a beautiful line from Ian Coglin, the writer. It's, a, it's just very much in keeping with the genre. Did Ian ever come on set? No, he 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 was um, he he stayed in Queensland, so I never actually got to meet him, um, which is oh. a shame. Uh, he was yeah. By that stage, he was just uh, very reclusive. Did you get any feedback from him on after? I think he, I think he liked it. Yeah, I think you know it's, it's always when you offer up your first cut, um, you know, because every you know producers and writers, you know, they all imagine how the film would be if they directed it, and then they see your version, and they go, oh my god, you know, so they have to <laughs> they have to acclimatize. Um, and after about the second or third time they watch your version, they're starting to buy into it. That's how I've found it. So usually the first um, screening is very brutal, you know. Um, you really get a sense that, um, you know, there are, there are certainly good things about it, but you get a sense of um, <laughs> not, um, not really being sure. And then they start to buy into it. It's a very unusual process as a director. I mean, you get smacked around a bit, you know. But you weren't discouraged by that smacking around, were you? No. I, you know, I kind of just went, well, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen, you know. Um, so I better start learning how to take the heat.
of your actors if they got back to you about how they felt how the film wound up? Yeah, everyone was, you know, obviously happy with it because it hung together very well. Um, you know, it's a story, it's the beginning, middle and end and, um, and it's not disjointed and it takes you on a journey. So, um, you know, everyone's pr pretty happy with the finished product. So this is back in the studio? This is back in the cave, yes. This is a little bit of supernatural madness. Uh, yeah. What were the directions for cave design? Uh, well, we had drawings and so on. Um, and I'm not sure whether they, where they got um, their materials from, but, you know... Even back in those days, you, you could build a cave with, you know, out of polystyrene pretty well. Uh, that's why he's not hammering the wall too hard, because it's polystyrene. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that's particularly weak. <laughs> well, he, he couldn't really lay into it because it was a real sledgehammer. And, <laughs> Didn't have a rubber <laughs> sledgehammer, okay? <laughs> no, that's right. All of this yep. torch, you know, nice big, you know, Steve's capacity to just light with a bit of smoke and get the torches to um, have their beams shining beautifully. I mean, all of this sort of stuff, you know, even the lighting there. I, I was very worried about that looking like it was lit, but, you know, it is... It is a Hollywood style that he chose, you know. No, it works for the film. Yeah. Mm. Oh, cave paintings. Yep. Weird. Art department. Definitely. <laughs> a little bit of reverb on the voices, so it sounds, you know, authentic. Tom Jennings did well. He was, uh, what was he in? He was in Mad Max 1. I think he was one of the, one of the leaders of the kids uh, in the opening scene, scenes or something. I'd have to have another look at it. But um, he finished up going on to be a musician after this film. It's another little fright moment. And then we get into more exposition. <laughs> I'm cruel, aren't I? <laughs> right, just what do you two think you're oh, yeah. doing here? What on earth did you think you were doing? So what's, what was ha happening here? Well, um, I certainly noticed that um, Tom and Eric had the same style uh, tops on. <laughs> Which annoyed me. <laughs> but um, it, it's, it's a key moment, you know, for um, Zoe's character to confront her father. And all of, I mean, you know, like Ian was so versed in writing drama, you know, um, it's just time's a little overwritten, so you just lose a few lines. Uh, um, you know, work out beautifully. Were any lines added into the film? Yeah, yeah, we did add a few. 
here and there, um, you know, as you sort of do. I mean, something calls for something um, here and there or makes more sense if you say it in a more sort of commonplace way. Um, yeah, I'm always, I'm always up for actors changing their lines to make sure that they... You know, that they scan nicely and they feel natural. Um, you know, lines can sometimes just kind of discombobulate a, an actor and it doesn't sound right and they should say what they want to say in the way they want to say it. So I'm always very open to that um, as long as the, you know, the common sense is adhered to uh, and whatever they're saying, you know, comes across to support the story. Someone like Eric would just, you know, could just churn out anything, <laughs> you know. He's just like, yeah, just so used to making dialogue work. Whereas some of the younger actors, like these guys, you know, they just find something that doesn't quite scan well and want to change it. That's fine. I want to talk to that old man who came to the house last night, the Aboriginal. I want to talk to him. Where does he live? How should I know? You can find I mean, you know, it's a real rip-tear, bust um, schedule. I mean... But a lot of films are. Did you get much time in post to work on it? Um, I think we cut it in about 24 days, too, and we were, sh we were cutting on... Um, on 35, so we're on Steenbeck's, and, uh, you know, that's incredibly slow, uh, you know, so you'd have to put in your big days, 15, 16 hours, um, because, you know, any time you want to change anything, you have to actually spl splice the film, take the, the bit of film out, hang it up, you know. <laughs> you know, it was such, uh, you know, sort of archaic sort of way to work compared with these days. This little sequence, for instance, you know, there's all dissolves in here um, and you'd have to go through and mark up every dissolve and then send it off to the lab and uh, it, that would be expensive um, to get it printed to see whether it worked. So, um, you know, you just uh, hope for the best, really. <laughs> You know, design a little sort of section like that, a horror section, and then um, mm. mark it up and send it off, and you know. But yeah, I, I suppose be, because I'm a drummer, you know, I sort of have a general, a very strong sense rhythm. of rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I listen, I listen, I sort of listen to dialogue rhythmically too. You know, I mean, I much more into rhythm. Um, you know, and. And um, tone of voice rather than... I mean, most people don't say what they really mean, <laughs> you know. I'm kind of interested in tone of voice and um, exacting that. This guy, um, Sean Scully, used to be a, uh, a child prodigy, a child actor. Uh, he did, he, yeah, he really didn't want to... Be there, I could tell he didn't want to be doing this. He's just earning a quid. But um, <laughs> I had to take him aside and say, "Listen, um, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing?" 
And there's the uh, Sydney Sydney Rugby Stadium being built in the background. Uh, you know, in oh, yeah. Paddington, we thought we'd yes. uh, we'd get some uh, production value. Um, <laughs> just see that in the background. Absolutely, well, it's a historical piece now. Yeah, have they ripped it down? They might have. Have they? Well, not yet. Not yet. Don't think. Mm. Um, and so suddenly we go into Billy Nudgel's world and, you know, I think we found this pretty easily, this sort of location not too far out of town so you don't have um, a big travel factor for the crew. Um, oh, most important. Yeah, you just waste so much time. And as a director you just keep on, I mean, you become very, uh, very aware of time. Um, absolutely aware of time. So obtaining locations was never a problem with Kadacha? It wasn't really. Um, you know, we had very good locations, people, you know, once again, people that were very experienced that Hannah sort of brought on board and, and I'd just jump in a car with Dool first and he'd drive. Um, I was uh, shot listing most mornings, so, you know, you get up at four in the morning and get home at sort of, I don't know, sort of seven or eight at night. Um, so I'd get up and try and get three or four hours of shot listing in um, before we went on our journey, so I'd just sleep in the car while he took me to the next location. Um, and, you know, you could knock off a lot of locations fast. Um, and then you go home and re-shot list because suddenly you're um, dealing with a different reality to what you imagined, you know, all that sort of stuff. All, that's, all that prep is really important, I think. I'm super into prep. Um, and some directors aren't like that, but I, I really think it's important. This is Rhoda Roberts. She, she, uh, she went on to be a presenter at SBS. Um, a very and she did a lot of work. I'm possibly still working at SBS, I think. And Stevie's um, Stevie's passed now, so that's a bit sad. But I think he finished up doing. Gee, he, you know, he was in the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith, and um, you know, he's in some great films. Uh, I think he was in Evil Angels and. Uh, yeah, one of his last films was The Matrix. He was in The Matrix, I think. So. Pretty incredible guy. Uh, lovely old man. He's a real beauty to work with. Sweetheart. Very bad man. Even his own tribe. Why kill just us teenagers? We're not the ones who built the houses around here. I know. So we haven't we haven't had any scenes of violence in the last five minutes. For a while, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's almost like, you know, back in the day, back in the day, you'd have you know you'd have ten ten minute reels, um, thirty five yep. minute, thirty five mil reels. Um, so, and you know, horror movies were sort of based on uh, death a reel sort of thing. You know, that was the idea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, gets a bit story heavy. Where's the you know, where's it all going? But it hangs together very nicely because you know because of Ian. I mean, his experience as a scriptwriter. 
This is an interesting little scene. I mean, we shot, see that shot there, that, that's shot at night time. Um, and um, Steve just put up a bit of blue tarpaulin behind him. See the blue there? That's not daylight. Yes. That's, that's a tarpaulin. Uh, so we shot out the kids first and then by the time we shot Rose, it was completely dark and Steve, you know. That that's that's in night time. That's in daytime. He's so clever. People like that. Yeah. They're amazing. Blow my mind. He can really paint with light. Yeah, it's been cut together perfectly. Mm. Doesn't it? It's incredible. And certainly in those days you didn't have you know, the capacity to grade as much as you do these days. I mean, you know, you make a film these days and spend, you know, weeks grading. So what did you take away from uh, Kodaicha? What did you take um, away from Kodaicha that you've put into your further filmmaking? I th You know, I think you sort of, after you make each film... Um, in my experience, you, after about a year, you look back and you go, well, what did I learn? <laughs> um, and it takes a while to get over it, you know. Well, it does me. Um, I may, I'm probably just a bit too sensitive to be a director. Because um, uh, you get knocked around and um, it takes me a while to recover after each film. Um, but I certainly... As I said, you know, I certainly know how to craft story um, via shots and I love working with actors and, um, you know, and I'm a big music fiend. Um, so there's a lot in the game that I really enjoy. Um, I probably just take it too seriously. <laughs> you know, who knows? Just, just speaking about the music again... Uh, um there is a band that appears in here, Tall Tales and True. Yes. Uh, yeah. Their music appears here. Um, what was your relationship to that band then? Did you just like their stuff? Or? Yeah, I'd, I'd met Matthew Delahunty and uh, Tall Tales and True and used some of their music uh, in one of my short films. Um, and I used to go uh, to their gigs. They were right on right on the verge of becoming, you know, massive uh, at one stage. And they just, they went to America and a few things just went against them and they just didn't quite ever make it. You know, they, they were looking like they were going to be really big, you know. Um, and I loved their music. They were three-piece and just hardcore, four on the floor, rock and roll, you know, really, you know, yep. solid, beautiful, great voice great guitarist um, so yeah we sort of I think we did a package deal where we we got three or four of their tracks for this film um, mm -hmm. and then spelt the name of the band wrong in the credits which is a bit of a shame but <laughs> <laughs> Tall Tales and True as opposed to Tall Tales and True <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but anyway these guys were capable of playing uh, the actors, so that was good. Um, 
Oh, so they weren't dubbed for this? No. This was and as own I, music? And as I said, yeah, Tom went on to to be a musician. He went to he went to um, London and he too got very close to being in a in a band that was super successful but didn't <laughs> you know how tough that world is, so yeah. Yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's nothing easy about it. So this little sequence here is uh, something that I wrote, um, which uh, which I was able to uh, convince Hannah that it was really scary. <laughs> Make the film a bit more R-rated, but in actual fact it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, the hand coming out of the grate is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. mm. These shots are lovely. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Something's going wrong. Yeah, yeah. Supernatural. So he carries the part very well, I think, She's did, as I've said. The grade is, it's a, you know, quite a funky, hardcore grade. I mean, you can, these days, you know, for instance, you look at, see all that detail on the necks and so on. I mean, it's, it's pretty much lost because the grade is a bit dark. Um, Whereas yeah, these days, you know, you you just uh, put a circle around the neck and then lift that by, you know, a couple of stops and suddenly it'd be much more scary and horrible. Um, but, yeah, I think everyone's pretty aware of that, you know. That's the sort of thing you can do on your iPhone, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, whereas back in those days, you'd sort of get one crack at it. I oh, know, just in general, this scene is good because it's uh, nice, bright white. Yeah. Uh, compared to everything else, action yeah. in the cave, even even stuff out, action in the river. It's a, a complete contrast, but it uh, hangs together. Yeah. And this was this was this always scares the shit out of everyone, which was good. <laughs> Be great to see in a theatrical situation. Yeah. Great sound once again. Did you, you know, great shot. This one. Yeah, it's just so unexpected. I mean, that's the fun of horror, isn't it? You can, you can do. Oh yeah. Some really wacky stuff. Although that wasn't much of a grip. No. <laughs> it's all very innocent, really, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Another car shot, interior. Whose vehicle was that? I don't know. I think it was just hired for the, you know, for the show, which you do, you know, obviously. Someone sees a vehicle and just offers, offers the owner some money for a few days here and there. 
it's just struck me. I think I've seen it in another film. Is that so? It's pretty unique. It's pretty unique. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> what was the other film? I wonder. Australian film made around the same time. There was, I wouldn't say there was a lot of horror films at the time, but there, there was horror and action films made, and mm. it'll come, to, it'll come back, to, it'll come to me at some stage. Mm. But uh, I swear I've seen it before. <laughs> but that, but that doesn't matter. Did. You probably did. Yeah. I mean, you know, these crews, they sort of have to do what they can do, so they always go back to the same sources. Hasn't he got a lovely top on? You have to help us please, Mr. Nudger. <laughs> it's so 80s. <laughs> and his hair. Oh, yeah. Look at his hair. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Oh, that is neat. It's very neat. <laughs> yep, blow dryer's had some work there. Yep. appreciate this i really do i'll give you a lift down there if you like so we're sort of heading sorry we're heading towards the climax of the film now um um and the the kadaicha spirit has got hold of our boy he's starting to feel it um and then um he uh He's decided he's going to kill Gale. Uh, he's completely out of him, out of himself. So he shot some slow mo here, and uh, kind of wanted to try and get into an altered state. Um, and a little zoom in there. Just see that we're uh, heading off into some different kind of world. And funnily enough, when he pulls up and turns his lights off, one light stays on. And that was just, you know, incidental. (laughs) It's just totally weird. And I went, yeah, let's go with that. That's good. (laughs) It's very odd. (laughs) Yeah, he's... um, Yeah. (laughs) But good. Uh, it's all coming to a big crux, big finale. Um, so all of this spontaneity, all of this stuff is—I mean, yeah—it's really very much about using the house the best way you can. Um, and um, this room was a set, but the rest of it is uh, set in a real house. Um, and when we were shooting down here, you can see that little puddle, uh, that was that little stream. They, when we were shooting down in this tunnel, I remember on the day that we shot there, because we shot all those shots in one day, of course, and the tide rose quite quickly and we finished up, you know, we had our lights in there that <laughs> was starting to um, almost float around in the water. It was a worry. So, yes, when we were... When we were shooting this um, this area, uh, this tunnel down in um, Bondi, 
the water actually rose <laughs> and um, we were we shot the you know all those sequences at the same time so well um, it looked it looked deeper than the creek we almost had our lights we, we, yeah we almost had our lights floating around um, in that <laughs> tunnel which was a bit it was dangerous. it was deeper than the creek <laughs> I was just we were just staring at a still shot of it then and it looked really deep <laughs> anyway it's all coming to a cataclysmic ending yes it is in the shed yep <laughs> a lovely lovely top there from the 80s I'm not sure when I mentioned that before but anyway um, back into the cave so yeah essentially this whole sequence now starts to operate on in parallel action um, and uh, so you got there Stevie, Billy Nudgel, um, trying to defeat the Kodaicha spirit to um, nullify things. And um, meanwhile, Gail is at home and um, her boyfriend, uh, whose turn is, uh, has been possessed, really, by the spirit. Um, so, uh, yeah, all sorts of things are happening. Um, and it's important. It's important at this stage to mention, um, I think, for um, story point of view, it's very important to either uh, to be very aware as a director if you're telling the story ahead of the audience or ahead of the characters um, or at the same at the same level as the characters or behind the characters do you know what I mean um, and the more yep. you more you shift and change that the better the film will be so if you see a film that uh, adopts one story point of view usually it's sort of pretty boring uh, it's just one of the little secrets of directing Was there any particular film that you had in mind that you were emulating? No, not at all. No, I th no. I think um, there wasn't. I, I didn't have a touchstone really. I just uh, decided to Ooh. stay true to the script as much as I could, and um, you know, bring my own sort of vision to it. So here, here we certainly are in terms of story point of view. We're right with her. We're not ahead of her. And we're not yep. behind her. And you can manipulate story point of view with music too. Um, so sometimes music tells you what's going to happen. Uh, sometimes the music is operating at the same level as the character. And sometimes it's behind. So we've got a few tools there as a director to manipulate things. So at this point in time, we as an audience know that he there's something wrong with him whereas she doesn't so suddenly we're ahead of her and then when he comes down the stairs see we know that he's he's gone and she still doesn't so if you manipulate your story point of view um, as I said you know it just sort of makes for a better film
dad's stuck in the uh, garage and Billy Nudgel can probably see all of this happening in his eyes mind, his mind's eye I should say. <laughs> it's very good Stevie. This is a set, uh, the rest of rest of what we shot is the house so we had to put in a false door there so we could smash it down um, but the her room is a set um, obviously we didn't have a, a crowd there so we had to <laughs> make TV So that word that he's um, chanting is, means the changed one, um, and uh, certainly he's trying to defeat it. So all of this action is, you know, you certainly want to actually have a lot of shots and uh, be able to um, speed the cut up otherwise um, and rely on special effects um, as uh, sound effects I should say um, I think uh, basically Stevie holds this whole thing together And as I said before, I mean, with sequences like this, you have to... Um, we did this build on Tom's face um, and shot it and then dissolved all the shots together. And then, and then once we had that shot back from the lab, then we supered it against the burning uh, skeleton. So all of that is a bit, you know, it used to be a bit hit and miss, whereas these days you can really finesse that in post. It's up to you now. You want more people dead? Stay here. So what happens now, Dad? The exclusive beach side suburb of Kangaroo Lakes, still reeling from a series of tragedies which has claimed the lives of three local teenagers. I think this was the scene where we, um, one of our lighting trucks was bogged so we had to make do with a lot less lights. Um, and then you get to your sort of final shot and you want to leave the door open a little for a sequel. So I um, found this nice little hook at the end of the film to just think that maybe the Kadaicha spirit is alive and kicking after all.
And did a sequel ever become a serious consideration? No, I don't. And quite possibly because of um, you know the four films and you know what happened to Vicious and uh, who knows? I mean, so we got this little little bit of action here to finish the film, and then Tall Tales and True sort of come in with a nice riff. Soundtrack, yes. And there we have it. All the credits. <laughs> no plastic spider credit, but hey. <laughs> we know now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I, you know, that's part of the fun of it, isn't it? You know, getting away. Yeah. Well, f- trying to figure out, you know, with limitations, you know, comes a certain kind of freedom. <laughs> and uh, you just kind of have to try and figure out how to deal with stuff uh, um, yeah, no thanks James great insight well thank you yeah um, I hope I made sense <laughs> absolutely no I appreciate your anecdotes good good yeah and your general interest in it all these years later yeah, well, you know, 32 years, actually. Um, it's a long time ago. Uh, uh, I was the name of the credits, George Mannix. Yeah, there's George. Yeah, he was the... Pro- yeah, safety Mad Bomber. Yes, he did, yes. And Grant Page is there, and... Uh, yes. Yeah, there's some... Uh, there's Counterpoint Sound, you know. They, they're just all fresh out of film school, as I said, so they did a marvellous job. Um and um yeah the tall tales and true credit spelt wrongly and <laughs> <laughs> there always has to be someone in the credits that gets their name spelt wrongly just have to have certainly just always have to have one person <laughs> <laughs> filmed on location in sydney australia yeah anyway thank you very much michael thank you james cheers all the best